welcome to Agitated Podcast. We're all the way to number nine, which is my favorite number. So I'm pretty sure it's going to be a good one. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Millie. Good start. Okay, so this this episode is a little different because um, we're going to start getting into a Uh, more deep dives on a topic that we think about a lot and work on, which is corporate constitutional rights. There is a lot to it, and we were trying to figure out exactly how to start. And then we came across this book, and (laughs) we thought, oh my god, okay, let's just share this, and then we can riff and we can get into the general absurdity that is corporate constitutional rights. Is that fair to say? Yeah, so we'll do future episodes in more detail, but we're going to use this as our entry point, this book, which is called Companies Are People Too. Stick that on a pillow. So so when we first heard about it, we we thought that it must be, you know, making the case for the opposite because we're very used to this concept just feeling absurd. So we don't, uh, you know, we don't take... With a grain of salt, when we see something like that, we assume it's going to lay out the absurdity, but... And also, 9.9 times out of 10, if we tell somebody what work we do, they agree with us and think that corporations should not... I have never talked to someone who was like, yeah, corporations are people, and they need okay, constitutional well, rights, right? Like, I've never corporate in lawyers, all of this work... The exception being... Well, right, okay, lawyers. 9.9. Lawyers. Yeah. Yeah, basically, <laughs> right? this is an issue that, like, people fucking get, feel, understand at a visceral level. There are very few things that have the amount of mass support as ending corporate constitutional rights. Um, yet we find them sometimes out in the wild. And so so someone... One exception being Chris Novoselic from Nirvana, who I argued with for like <sighs> over the course of 24 hours on his old libertarian blog. So Chris Novoselic, bassist for Nirvana. Oh my God, you're just further um, actually, crushing all like the few Shelley, left grungies out there who it are hurts. just like sitting in a corner like... Aww. <laughs> yeah, he thinks the corporation is a person. Kill your heroes. Anyway, um, a colleague <laughs> of ours sent us this email and was like, hey, there's this book, like, must be something that would be up our alleys. It's a children's book. And we were like, sweet, a children's book about corporate constitutional rights. That's really interesting. We're always talking about how to talk to kids about this. And so we, so someone on our on our team bought it thinking it was going to be Great. And then realized. Who has actually been telling us to write a children's book for years. Yeah, she's yeah. Just been like, do this, make it digestible for children. So she buys it. Okay, so this is not it, this book. This is not So that. we thought, since we are not encouraging you to go to Amazon and buy it, which is, I think, the only place it's available, right? And we're obviously not going to show, you know, we can't, like, show you the book. So I'm just going to run through, this is Caitlin, I'm just going to run through... <laughs> what's in here because it's really fast so basically it starts off as like what's a person and then it's lots of cute little pictures about how like you know everyone in your family is a person people live and breathe they think they go to church maybe or they don't eat dream blah 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 people have rights I like this. People can sign contracts and own property. That one, that one's like a totally wow. different level than the others. So just like, boom. No no explanation of what that is. But, you know, keeping it high level. Also, that like all the important things, right? Marriage, babies, owning property. property. 
<laughs> well, it is relevant when talking about corporations. So it talks about how people can go to court. They have to pay bills. If they hurt someone, they have to pay money. And if they hurt somebody bad enough, they might have to go to jail. And then it changes to companies can do some of the same things that people do. And then it has this cute little building with a face on it, <laughs> which is an image that we've used before, too. In like a negative way. <laughs> to, <laughs> right. To personify a corporation. So um, companies have the right to own property and sign contracts. They have to pay bills. If a company hurts someone, they have to pay. And there's a, a sad little corporation with a dollar bill handing it to somebody who's smiling from their hospital bed. Mm -hmm. With their head all bandaged yeah. up. That seems right. <laughs> I lost my leg um, in your factory, but gee, thanks for visiting. <laughs> thanks for the dollar. And then, you know, how, how is it possible that companies can do what people do? Well, they're people too. It talks about how judges recognize companies' rights. Legislators write laws to give companies to make them people. But just to be clear, they can't do everything. That people do. Because a company cannot go to jail. <laughs> right. They cannot no. die. That does, It doesn't say that, actually. Um, but they also can't give you a hug. Uh -huh. Can't get married. Oh, yeah. Can't eat food. <laughs> and then it has this weird part where it talks about how um, it's so fun to play pretend. <laughs> and when grown-ups play pretend, they play pretend to make the world better. <laughs> and sorry. And then there's this picture is the one that gets me the most in this book. When adults play pretend, it's to make the world better. And there's like this little dancing corporate person with a smiley face and hearts all over, holding hands with an earth that also has legs all right. and hands. All right. It's holding hands. All right. <laughs> uh, and here's the crux of it. If companies weren't people, we couldn't make them responsible. Okay. All right. Mm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> let's start let's start digging in here about how exactly counter to the truth that is very ahistorical so what she's she's conflating and this is something that happens all the time in part we have done it so legal personhood is not the same thing as corporate constitutional rights or constitutional rights and maybe we could talk about that a little bit yeah because that's kind of like what's happening with this book here but it's not helpful to help six-year-olds start off from the very beginning misunderstanding that so we're recognizing that corporations all have a function as a tool in our society and uh to function they require what has you know been passed as statutory rights which is what is considered to be corporate personhood so that's the you know the right to enter into contracts the right to sue and be sued um but these are all done legislatively or should be or should be so then she also says courts have recognized them so that's a whole different set of recognition right because it's recognizing the constitution as a person with inalienable constitutional rights the corporation, right. as, a person. The corporation um, as, so, as a person just it's worth you said the the constitution as a person so so oh my bad yeah so um so corporations as it stands now enjoy the same constitutional rights as human beings so when you think about the constitution and your rights um usually you think about things that are sort of uh, feel inherent and inalienable right like you're very personal shit and also your relationship with the government and all of that um a lot of that is laid out in your constitutional rights and through a series of supreme court cases over the last 
over a century, corporations have been extended constitutional rights. Sometimes the term corporate personhood is used as shorthand for corporate constitutional rights. So there's a, a difference there. The corporations actually don't have all constitutional rights. They have they don't have a Second Amendment right. They don't have certain elements of First Amendment. But over time, through initially uh, making the argument that the 14th Amendment, which was the amendment meant to, after, after the Civil War, meant to ensure equal protection of the law under state laws, and, and really was the amendment that was meant to head off the push for segregation and Jim Crow, which was ultimately unsuccessful because the Supreme Court undid the 14th Amendment by saying that separate is equal. As long as separate is equal, it's constitutional. And so the 14th Amendment said that, you know, states couldn't treat different people differently, couldn't discriminate. And they were talking about African-Americans, but then apply the Supreme Court applied it to corporations and said, which meant that a number of it was really around like tax law at the time in the late 1800s. So it meant that a number, you know, tons and tons of state and local laws that taxed corporations differently than individuals were then unconstitutional. It was put forward by corporations trying to circumvent laws to hold them accountable. And that's so that that's gonna, uh, pretty much always going to be the case when a corporation is trying to exercise or claim a constitutional right. It is exclusively at the disadvantage of us. It's going to be so they can circumvent regulations, get out of paying taxes, etc. It's never, you know, it's 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 very different than when an individual human is trying to claim their their constitution. Even rights. going back into when the Fourteenth Amendment was enacted, between the time afterwards, between eighteen ninety and nineteen ten, actually ninety four percent of the cases brought were dealing with corporations. So basically immediately after the court ruled that, yes, we're going to take this up and allow corporations to exercise 14th Amendment rights, they flooded the courts. And we're talking about Supreme Court cases. So there's this doesn't even count all the lower cases that maybe didn't get up to the Supreme Court. They flooded the courts with cases to expand the ways that the 14th Amendment would be applied to limit government's ability to to regulate or treat them differently than than individuals. And then after getting, you know, their foot in the door, even though corporations don't have feet on the Constitution through the 14th Amendment, um, they have been able to, you know, expand from there. And that's one of the, and we don't want to talk about that in this podcast, but we will talk about it in future ones because, you know, you could kind of go into detail on each one of the ways that corporations have been, each of the amendments that corporations have been able to exercise and how then that trumps our ability to really have the amendment ourselves in comparison because companies have more money than individuals. Companies can be in multiple places at once. Companies don't go to jail, as this book points out. Um, they live forever, as the book doesn't point out. And so uh, there's just no comparison. And that's why we live in a system of corporate rule, where the law really serves corporations more than it serves people. And then uh, there was another page in the book um, that, you know, made the claim that if a company hurts someone, they have to pay. 
And that's all they say about it. Can you describe that picture again, Caitlin? Well, there's a couple, there's two different places. So there's <laughs> one where it's like in the, you know, there's the guy in the hospital bed all bandaged up, but he's smiling and the company is making a little sad face and handing him a dollar. But then there's also uh, a picture of, you know, saying, if you fell in a store, they wouldn't have to help you get better. If your mm. mom went to work, they wouldn't have to pay her. Everything falls apart if we don't pretend. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I... Let's talk about recently, moms getting hurt. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the first thing I thought of when I read this was the recent news uh, of the Sackler family who were at the helm of Purdue Pharma, who created uh, OxyContin and also are is responsible for just like this massive campaign of lies in the 90s that um, was a huge driving factor in the opioid crisis. And my mother was somebody who was lied to. My mother, you know, had fibromyalgia, came out of nowhere. She never did drugs, went to had just a regular doctor. And she was told that this medication would help her and that it was milder than morphine. I mean, she just got the same lies that, you know, countless other people did. And, you know, within a couple of years, she was dead. So recently, the family who absolutely engineered this entire mass murder. Um, knowing, knowing what they were doing, knowing that they were getting absolutely. people hooked. I mean, that's a lot of the evidence has come out in the case is suing them that, that, that they were, it was premeditated. Mm-hmm. Yep. And these were the same, this is the same family that, you know, Uh, pushed Valium, you know, a couple decades before, and that fizzled out. So they had to find a new grift that was, you know, so it was that they were playing out the same story again. But yeah, so uh, they basically got a slap on the wrist. Um, They will now have to pay four and a half billion dollars over the course of the next decade. But they've made 11 billion in profits off of this drug. Um, they will have to step down from leadership, not immediately. Uh, they get some time to figure it out. I think by 2024. Um, oh my fucking to- God, that's so long. <laughs> Especially considering that this case isn't new and they like knew that this was coming. Jesus Christ. And then finally, they were, they are being granted immunity from any future lawsuits so nothing else bad can happen to them as a result of you know the absolute horror that they brought to countless families um over the you know past couple that's decades still going on that has not been solved it's still going remedy right. so let's go back a little bit right. to corporate constitutional rights because here they have all the benefits of personhood coming to court with their you know their their foundation and then they also have limited liability so there's no one actually at the top there's no ceo there is no stockholder that is actually accountable to anything that the corporation does so kill mass people okay pollute you know entire communities pull out whatever atrocities you want to and they may or may not be fined some measly amount right but no 
nothing is to say that that corporation stops to function, loses their their you know their their charter. There is nothing that discontinues. And it, and in an extremely rare case, sometimes the corporate veil can be pierced, and maybe somebody goes to jail. But generally speaking, that's also you know white collar crime is. It's a really <laughs> different so situation. Lenient. Compared, right. And in terms of what the harm is, I mean, what it takes for that to happen is, you know, massive, massive, massive amount of deaths. And so in terms of the balance and the idea that the that we are holding them responsible and, and, and that their personhood is what allows this, like those two things can absolutely be separated out. In fact, they were previously you know, corporations still had to follow the law and still were able to have contracts and all of that before they had constitutional protections granted by the court. It's unfortunate that this woman who is a law professor would absolutely understand and know that. Yeah. Sorry. Thank you. The author. But the other piece, too, is like, so what how that how this plays out is that it's just a fucking cost benefit analysis, you know, and every company does it. Okay. What is what are the fines that I might have that we might have to pay if we break this law or cross this line? And then you just pencil it Mm -hmm. out. And also, oftentimes, those 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 fines can then be written off their taxes because that's part of the cost of doing business. And so it's like, is it even paid? Or they or they go bankrupt. And then that that money is then forwarded on to consumers or the, you know, residents Mm -hmm. of whatever, you know. We end up paying for our own fucking destruction very directly as a result of it. Right. Because the costs are all externalized. Yeah. Um, yeah so this children's book that's giving people the idea that companies have rights so that they can also have responsibilities. I mean, on one hand, it's like, oh, you know, maybe this happens when you when you simplify it enough. But the crazy thing that we wanted to talk about is that this is our experience so often mm-hmm. When we run into not just as lawyers, but especially lawyers who have studied constitutional law yeah. and who are into constitutional law, They're, they they love the way that it is. They really do. And they have a really hard time imagining it being different. Yeah. It's like impossible. It's so sad. And so in order to have credibility, you know, in trying to make these changes, a lot of people expect you to have some constitutional lawyers kind of backing up what you're saying. But that is like not a thing that happens because this is that this is their whole livelihood depends on this staying the way it is because they're experts on the way it is they're not they're not interested in how it could be completely flipped on its yeah and a lot of these things become very theoretical and are sort of just like debates about constitutionality and it's not understood that this is extremely tangibly violent I, i think the like adherence to like constitutionalism and american exceptionalism they just get so saturated you know, and not to say that there aren't exceptions. Like we know a whole lot of lawyers who <laughs> understand the problems with corporate constitutional rights, um, but there is overwhelming like idea of the legal community. I would say, and especially like constitutional law people, is very like rigid and lacks vision in a super dangerous way. And even even the ones who will go through and admit the problems that the current framework creates and acknowledge that. It's still because it is something that is so embedded in the way that 
you think about how the law should be, which I think this book kind of, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> expresses. It, it's like, well, you know, those are the trade-offs, though. And, you know, in in return for capitalism working, we, you know, we, we kind of have to, those are the, maybe they're unintended consequences, mm. but they're worth it. And um, there's no sort of like, how about if we go back to the drawing board? And part of why going back to the drawing board is kind of the only reasonable thing is because it was a goddamn fucking conspiracy on the part of corporate lawyers who were the railroad companies who were, you know, the basically equivalent of the like Jeff Bezos's of the day were like, fuck, there is a, there has been a push on the part of like labor and government to try and like hold us accountable and rein us in uh, through state laws, how can we get around that? And they just set their sights on it and said, "Oh, this this Fourteenth Amendment and the way that is written, we could make the argument." So it's like there's nothing inevitable or just or kind of like necessary or baked into even capitalism that this exists. It was really just a huh. Can we pull this off? And then the answer was, yes, we can, because our friends are the ones who are on the Supreme Court. And so we did. And then and now we're here, you know, 135 whatever years later being like, wow, it's just so unfortunate how harmful this is to our planet. (laughs) But what can we do? Yeah. But like, I don't this doesn't I mean, the book doesn't even acknowledge this being harmful in any way. I mean, and that's what's so dangerous is, is she is a, you know, a professor of law who is in this, who knows that like corporate presence is not positive, that they don't have any real accountability, that they face no real consequences. And then she's written a completely counter narrative for us to feel comfortable in that. And I mean, not to say it's just her at all, right? This is the, this is what. <laughs> She's not even leading a charge. She's no, no, this is, this is yeah. neoliberalism, right. pa- packaging something really nasty that capitalism has created and, and making it us very digestible for our children. Well, the other reason why I think that happens is because if you're if you think about like who the vast majority, the vast majority of corporations are not participating in the extremely greedy raping and pillaging of the planet. Like we all are participating in that, of course, because our system is, you know, premised on that. But Most companies are just, you know, trying to make a living, Mm -hmm. maybe, you know, somebody's creative idea or what employ people, blah, blah, blah. Go ahead. And they're not benefiting from constitutional rights either. Right. There's there's no, there's nothing gained for them having those rights. Right. Because to have those rights, you have to have the money to sue government and then push your way up through the court system and... Most companies are not in a position to do that at all. And in fact, the companies that are not the Googles and, you know, Teslas, but but are right, but are just like a company, right? Like people in your community selling things are in fact harmed by corporations having constitutional rights because that that means that you can't really differentiate between the local pizza shop and Walmart in your community. And so it, it harms them in the ways that they don't have the money to go up against, like Caitlin's saying, 
to fight for their rights. So the rights that end up being upheld are only the wealthy corporations and um, and that does damage to them. And sometimes directly. Sometimes these large corporations will directly use assert their constitutional rights over other companies. And it's like, if I mean, and that's what, you know, really what it comes down to is like our legal system is pay to play, just like our political system. And so if you've got enough money, then sure, you know, you, you can assert your constitutional rights. And if you don't, then you're shit out of luck. So if you had a local community that is, to use your example, you know, trying to define its economy and say that we're going to prioritize companies that pay workers a living wage mm-hmm. or that don't harm the environment or that are not participating in exploitative, or you know, labor owned. practices overseas and sweatshops, mm-hmm. etc. You know, but I mean, I'm saying like even with values, you know, because I think sometimes people are like, OK, well, you shouldn't decide who can own. So it's like, all right, but shouldn't we be able to decide what we support as a society? And the answer is no, that's actually off the table. That's discrimination. <laughs> And then mm-hmm. to go back to what Millie, you know, remind us of discrimination using the fucking amendment that was meant to actually ensure equal protection for people who had been enslaved by our government. I mean, that's how twisted and perverted it is. Meanwhile, that same Supreme Court takes takes that equal protection away and also says, incidentally, it doesn't apply to women either. Just fucking corporations. Yeah. Just our friends. So really yeah. to say it's our communities that actually lose rights when we give constitutional rights to these mega corporations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's so, you know, I mean, this book, whatever, I don't even know how many people will see it, right? That's the good news. It's not like it's getting a ton of traction. We wouldn't have found it if we didn't already do this work. But it is disturbing how easy it is to just sort of gloss past all of that and in fact say things that aren't exactly you know like legally this isn't incorrect um but especially as it's even trying to kind of like protect she's like trying to sort of like be in the realm of ethics yeah but she's just got such big holes oh definitely it's interesting to me that she teaches a mixture of business law commercial law and ethics i mean that's the thing you know there every law school has those classes and that's like the one place where theoretically they can have a little bit of you know fancy conversation as a treat fanciful conversation right about like how should this be but if those are the conversations that they're having (laughs) i mean seriously like let's get theoretical to the point that we're just dumb and drawing a building dancing with the earth because companies love us (laughs) i don't know that's a little extra it really is to go to this length to defend this super harmful doctrine especially it really in is this day and fuck? age right this is like this is a book that just came out pretty recently i think right like take the temperature um, man and, and, <laughs> and, and, yeah and like i just wanted to mention too that the book is so interesting because the characters there's illustrations with all of these ideas that she's presenting and the characters are all like very diverse. Like there are lots of people of color. There are two women of color getting married to each other. It's very there's even a zombie, there, gratuitous. Yeah, zombie. we're not sure about Unclear that one. one. <laughs> but the zombie um, just shows up because corporations never die, and there's like an undertone. Like maybe the illustrator was like, uh, uh-uh. uh. So she leaves us like I don't a know. nugget. The illustrator was from the new school, which is like a very, you know, a lot of more subversive stuff comes out of there. And so it's really surprising to see 
this like veneer of just like the most bad faith identity politics uh depiction right and so that's that's the thing that's i think a real this makes this a beautiful like example because neoliberalism will take identity politics and marry it with violent economic and foreign policy and be like look it's progressive you know what i mean like there's gays in here so this is we're this is good we're on the same team <laughs> it's pro good yeah, stuff yeah. but she also in an inner in an, in an interview that we all watched at we don't need to go too deep into, but um, she was asked about the corporation being depicted as a man. And she didn't really like expound very much on it, but it was a very telling moment because she was like, yeah, we made the corporation a man. I don't know what that says. And then she just like moved on. You need on to think more like, about this. You really need to think a lot more yeah. about this. All of it though. All of it. <laughs> well, everything. The judge is a woman, which like, you know, yes, there are women judges, but not mostly. It just tries and so hard like, to this be. This book is like one of those, those Hollywood or, you know, it was like one of those TV shows where all of a sudden we're in like some sort of post-racial like everything is okay, and but there's like and, and and then all conflict is gone in that sense because it's all just mm-hmm. fine. yeah. So we're gonna be talking a lot more about corporate constitutional rights. We're gonna do kind of a deep dive on how corporations use the different some of the different amendments to concentrate power and wealth and use it against us. Um, if you have specific questions about corporate person or corporate constitutional rights and or, or corporate, corporate person. <laughs> And or if there's anything in this episode that you think would be helpful to have more clarification on or whatever, um, let us know. You can um, find how to get in touch with us on the website, agitatedpodcast.com. Or if you're an author, a children's author, and you want to rewrite this story with some really good, real content... Let, let's let's get together. We would be great consultants. For such or if you yourself are a child and... <laughs> wanna help <laughs> what's your ba- baby focus group <laughs> oh my god that looks so cute i'm just like imagining that in my I brain know, aren't you too. all I'm and it's serious. so cute that's a real well that's a good note to end on because people are like oh babies in a sample test <laughs> not all of us but okay just the thought of little babies in a room together being like eh. okay i'm turning them into kittens then <laughs> they're cute <laughs> Kittens are persons too. I would I would read that book. <laughs> Shelly here. Welcome to the Agitated Podcast Twitter Roundup, where we look at the discourse and break it down for those of you who have actual lives. As you've surely heard, the Texas quote-unquote heartbeat bill went into effect on September 1st. Side note, we say quote-unquote because there is no detectable heartbeat at six weeks per the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. Anyway, this is a law that not only criminalizes abortion after six weeks, but offers considerable financial incentives for fellow citizens to snitch on the doctors, family, partners, and friends who performed, facilitated, or supported the abortion. And the Supreme Court refused to block this law in a 5-4 decision. So the most restrictive abortion ban goes into effect, and you'd think... Logging into Twitter, we would see discussion on what we can do for abortion-seeking women in Texas, or more systemically, putting pressure on Senate Democrats to abolish the filibuster so that meaningful legislation can be passed 
or packing the courts to change its fascist composition, or calling on Biden to once and for all strike down restrictions like the Hyde Amendment that he supported up until 2019, which bans federal funding for abortions. But no. Nope. No. Logging into Twitter on September 1st, the timeline was flooded with takes like this one from historically anti-Bernie journalist Jill Filipovic, who currently lives in a wealthy white colonizer enclave in Nairobi, Kenya. She writes, Good work, everyone who voted for Trump or Jill Stein in 2016 or didn't vote or undermined Clinton from the left because the Supreme Court doesn't really matter and it'll be fine. Abortion vigilantes in Texas, thank you for your support. Or this one from CNN analyst and former FBI special agent Asha Rangappa, quote tweeting SCOTUS's blog announcement. Hey, Bernie bros, you did this, guys. Sorry, but someone had to say it. And of course, blame for the all-powerful actress Susan Sarandon was so widespread that she was also trending all day. And going back to Filipovic's voter-blaming tweet. She's also known for writing an article in 2016 titled, Dear Everyone Who Said Ruth Bader Ginsburg Should Retire, You Were Wrong. So pretty bold of her to place the blame squarely on the disenchanted and disenfranchised rather than the rotten system that is responsible. RBG absolutely should have retired before 2014, but you're going to blame a handful of third-party voters. Hillary Clinton should have campaigned in Wisconsin rather than focusing on fundraisers with wealthy donors in the Hamptons. Yet, you're going to blame the 88,000 black voters in Wisconsin who voted for Obama but did not turn out for Clinton. You're going to blame an increasingly hopeless populace over the party that was hell-bent on running a deeply unpopular candidate and admitted to rigging a primary in her favor. You're going to blame Hillary Clinton's left critics over her campaign whose strategy was to actually elevate Trump, a fascist, in the media as the Pied Piper who must be stopped. And for Rangappa to come out the next day with someone had to say it, as though this isn't the widely pushed analysis from Dem operatives who managed to get it trending the day before, is just embarrassing. While it shouldn't be surprising that this wildly misplaced blame would once again be trotted out during such a dark moment for our reproductive freedoms, it doesn't make it any less depressing to see the mainstream media continuing to work so breathlessly to protect the Democratic Party from any accountability to the people, ensuring that they remain nothing more than controlled opposition against fascists who are much more willing and much more adept at manipulating the system to their own ends, and ensuring Democrats can continue to fundraise off of what makes them the most money. Fear of Republicans ahead of the next big election. And that does it for this Twitter roundup. Thanks for listening, and you've earned a drink. All right, thank you for tuning in. You can sign up for our email list so you can get a notification whenever a new episode drops. Sign up to get notified at agitatedpodcast.com. And we want to hear what's agitating you. So let us know at agitatedpodcast.com. Click the menu item titled, What's Agitating You? You can write in or record a message that we may play in the future on an episode. You can also leave us your feedback under the Contact Us section of the website. Don't forget, 
We've got stickers. If you'd like one, drop us a line with your address through any of our social media channels or the website. And speaking of social media, we'd love to connect with you there. You can find us at Agitated Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Please don't forget to subscribe and rate us five stars on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you tune in to podcasts. And if you would, leave a positive review on iTunes. It really helps the algorithm bump our podcast and new people find us on our show. And please share us with your friends. Podcasts like ours grow through word of mouth. So thank you for your support. And a big thanks to Jason and Radical Guide for helping us produce this show and Alfonso for helping us with promotion. See you next time. The pain will make you cry.